welcome to Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning with Wigan and Dana, the show where CPAs, insurance professionals, investment brokers, trust companies, CFPs, and more can firm up on their understanding of estate planning strategies so they can better guide their clients to make wise decisions with their legacy. Future Focus is hosted by Aaron Nichols and Michael Clear, partners of the Private Client Services Department at Wigan and Dana. Subscribe to Future Focused Sophisticated Estate Planning on your favorite podcast platform and share episodes with your clients. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron and Michael. Welcome to episode 20 of Future Focused. I'm your host, Michael Clear. In today's episode, we're going to hit our highlights of 2023. We've completed, this is our 20th episode. We've hit a number of topics from planning for legacy assets, such as vacation homes, decanting trusts, jurisdiction of trusts, planning for young adults, private foundation reporting, trustee removal, saving for educational expenses, helping family members buy a home, and even planning for pets. We thought it was a little too early to do a greatest hits. So instead, what we're going to do today is walk through some of our other highlights of the year. We're going to hit a number of our topics that we think really resonated with some of the planning opportunities that we have and also highlights a number of our colleagues. I hope you enjoy this highlight reel and we look forward to working with you and entertaining you throughout next year's season as well. In this first clip, I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Nichols, where we talk about using trusts for your beneficiaries. But really, I mean, there are three most common reasons why we plan with trusts, and at least one of them is important to all net worth, right? Absolutely. I think if we look at those three reasons, I'd say number one is tax planning. Number two is management of the assets for a beneficiary. And that third reason is often some sort of asset protection or protection from a divorcing spouse. And as we have conversations with our clients about planning in general, often one of those, if not multiples of those reasons, will come out as a reason why we should further explore the use of trusts. In this next highlight, Aaron and I talk about spousal lifetime access trusts a very common strategy as people think about making large gifts to utilize their gift tax exemption. Yeah, and in reality here, I'll often try to push people first, maybe to do one slat, so one trust that's for the benefit of the spouse and descendants, and have the other spouse do a trust that's only for the benefit of the descendants. That's where I'd like them to start. So we've identified, we want both spouses to use all of their funds, But we've clearly made two different trusts because there's no spousal access to that second one. That's where I'd like to start. That's where my best practice is going to say. That's where our deal is. But often clients come in thinking because they've read the articles about slats. Maybe their financial advisor or their accountant has handed them something on that. So they come in with this idea that they're both going to create slats. I'm going to create a slat for my spouse. My spouse is going to create one for me. And that causes us anxiety. It does, for sure, because the IRS sees this as an opportunity to assert that a married couple has created these slats in consideration of the other. It's essentially an argument that if you give property to a trust for your spouse, 
and an identical trust is created by your spouse for your benefit, then you haven't really made a gift at all. And the IRS will take that as an opportunity to include all of the assets in those trusts within the client's taxable estates, obviously defeating the whole goal here. Yeah. So how do we do it? So we don't want to say no to our clients. And so we're going to set up a structure. Effectively, we want these two trusts to be different in really meaningful ways. And I'll just lay out several ways and then we can dive into each one of them. So we'll often encourage the trust be funded with different assets. They be funded at different times. Maybe they have different trustees. They may have different distribution terms. And they'll use different definitions, definitions of spouse and descendant. So from a 30,000-foot view, we want these trusts to be different. We then sat down with partner Vanessa Mascow and talked about estate planning for digital assets. As we talked to people about their estate plan and we helped design their estate plan, we talked a minute ago about cold wallets and sometimes that tangible property. How do we make sure that the right people receive the tangible property that actually holds or houses the crypto asset. Yeah, Michael, I think you touched on a really important issue here. So your typical client, upon our recommendation often, will give their residuary, meaning the balance of their assets in a trust for asset protection, creditor protection, tax savings. They'll give that their balance of their estate to a trust for their loved one, spouse or children. But their tangible assets, which we generally think of as their furniture, furnishings, their wallet, their car, those we generally give outright. It's hard to hold those types of assets in a trust. But when we get to digital assets like cryptocurrencies, we're talking about versus a cold wallet, which is that tangible storage device, and then the digital asset, which is that you know financial holding, much like a brokerage account that'll pass as part of the residuary. So in that situation, you're giving the cold wallet to your loved one, maybe it's your spouse, but you're giving the underlying digital asset as part of the residuary to the trust for the spouse. That alone can cause an issue in the best set of situations, but that's even worse if your residuary beneficiary is not even the same person or same family member as your tangible property beneficiary. Here's a conversation between Aaron Nichols and I relating to generation-skipping tax planning. I do think that the GST tax is fun, but I think most people would disagree with me. And one of the reasons for that is that it's incredibly complex. So what is the GST tax? Well, we talk about our airtight transfer tax system. And if we think of the gift tax as a mechanism to prevent transfers during lifetime to avoid the estate tax. Well, the GST tax is a way to tax property that otherwise would have been brought out of the transfer tax system. Here, I had the opportunity to sit down with my partner, Dan Daniels, where we talked about family meetings and trying to structure them and various levels of communication surrounding family meetings. We've talked a little bit about our goal of our conversation today, which is really focusing on educating the next generation. What does that mean to you when we say that? I think it means primarily educating them on the estate plan itself, the flow of assets, the overall structure of the plan, who wears the hats, and sometimes 
especially in larger estates, why the plan was done the way it was done. And in some cases, the mom or the dad, so to speak, have a very definite philosophy on family and wealth. So those can be all part of what we refer to as educating the children. And I'll refer to children most often, but it could be people who are unrelated or related more distantly. So ultimately the beneficiaries of the plan. Yeah, the beneficiaries of the estate. In this highlight, Aaron and I are joined by our partner, Carolyn Rears, and we talk about the Corporate Transparency Act. Are there then severe penalties for non-compliance? Because I'm thinking of the clients that we have that have their closely held LLC on autopilot. It might be in a different jurisdiction, but they pay a service corporation to serve as registered agent, and they're doing the annual reports. So up to this point, they're not thinking about it on an annual basis. The penalties are significant. There are civil and criminal penalties. The civil penalty is not more than $500 per day that the violation continues or isn't remedied. And the criminal fine is not more than $10,000 or imprisonment for not more than two years (laughs) or both. (laughs) No big deal. (laughs) So yeah, there's real teeth to it. I think one of the issues too that's tricky and we had hoped for some more guidance in final regulations is around corrective reports. So for new companies, you have 30 days to file your beneficial owner report through this online registry with FinCEN. You also have a requirement that if there is a change in a control person or a beneficial owner, you have 30 days to make a corrective report. So that is a very short time frame for people, I think, to really understand what the requirements are and to get those reports filed. So a lot of people will be surprised, (laughs) I think, at the deadlines and how quick and also the amount of information that you need to provide in order to be compliant. In this final highlight, Aaron and I sit down with our partner, Helen Heights, and we walk through some of the planning considerations relating to prenuptial agreements. Often we talk to our clients about communicating about wealth with their children. And I always think it's great to encourage the conversation relating to prenups before there's a significant other in the picture. So it doesn't seem like you're picking on somebody. But do you have any advice for parents in how they should act or behave or things that they should understand as their child goes through the prenup process? Well, usually the parent's idea. (laughs) So I talk to the parent first because they want to talk to me first. Okay, that's fine. And usually they have conveyed the desire to their child first. There hasn't ever really been an odd situation other than if the parent wants a prenup, they have to be a little more forthcoming with their asset information. Not enough to tell them everything, but the rationale behind the prenup is to protect inherited wealth. And by the way, you're getting some inherited wealth. So I think you have to be willing as the parent to divulge a certain bit of information if you want the child to enter the prenup. And then the issue becomes, well, how is the child's fiance going to feel? Which 
And I've had some parents really concerned about that. But in general, it's pretty common that the fiance typically isn't surprised. They must hear in their own circles this generation of it's fairly common. So really, I can't even think of one situation where it presented a problem. Well, I hope you enjoyed episode 20. It was a great year for us, and we're looking forward to sharing many insights and thoughts in 2024. Thank you for listening to Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning, hosted by Aaron Nichols and Michael Clear, partners of the Private Client Services Department at Wigan and Dana. At Wigan and Dana, our aim is preserving the wealth that a family has worked so hard to create and pride ourselves in offering value-driven solutions and results. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, share episodes with your clients, and follow our highly talented, creative, and experienced lawyers on LinkedIn for even more great insight. We'll see you next time on Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning.